episode 45 of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm on today with my friend Will Freiberg. He's the Chief Business Officer at Mesosphere. We're going to talk about building the open source sales machine. Welcome to the show, Will. Thanks, Mike. So give us a bit of history on Mesosphere, how you came to the company, what your kind of background is, just sort of set the framework for the audience. Sure. So I initially came to the company as a head of strategic development, originally on the executive team, really focused on sort of business operations, business model, business development, kind of plugging the gaps, almost like a COO role before we, we had that here. And you know, my first sort of stint was really to focus on the business model. We had a very sort of professional services oriented approach at early days of the company. I joined about a year and a half in and I'll give you a little bit of the history in a second, but you know that that sort of professional services model shifted based on all the executives kind of reformulating and wanting to sell licensed software around open source. Um, sure. So kind of the topic we're going to really cover today. The technology is Apache Mesos. It's a open source project, an Apache ASL 2.0 license project that was started at Amp Lab in Berkeley by a number of folks, including one of our co-founders and chief architect Ben Hinman. He started the project, you know, back in sort of 2008-ish, and our CEO and co-founder was at Twitter during that time. I don't know if you remember the fail whale, Mike? Yes, I do. Yeah, so <laughs> there was um, the, there's a big picture that everyone had in their mind, the big bloated whale yes. being held up by strings by a couple of the Twitter birds that we all know and love. And uh, they were looking for a advanced scheduling system to, to kind of run containers and use distributed system applications to uh, really bin pack machines, get better ROI, use microservices to move away from monolithic partition systems and have a better way of life so they can kind of scale and go from a couple million users to hundreds of millions of users and keep the business in business. And so, you know, Flo and Ben got together, Ben joined Twitter, a lot of things happened, but I'll fast forward and Mesos was really the core technology in their infrastructure that saved the fail well issue. And it's still used at Twitter today on tens of thousands of machines in production. That's great. Yeah. After Twitter, you know, Airbnb was an early adopter. Our third co-founder, Tobias Knopp, was there in the infrastructure team. Him and Flo, who left Twitter to join Airbnb, which Tobias uh, rolled it out there. And we saw after that a number of other big companies that weren't touched by our co-founders really adopting it. Netflix, Groupon, HubSpot, others as well. Great. And how, uh, you were super early in the company, right? Like yeah, first, so, first business hire, basically? Yeah, so it was me and our CMO, Matt Trefiro, were the first two you know, executive business hires and really some of the first business hires in the company. I was employee 20, 28 or 29, something like that. So we're, you know, we're over 150 now, and I've been here a little over a year and a half. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you know, the topic is obviously building the open source sales machine. How, Talk to maybe the audience a little bit about how you guys 
set this framework up early on? What is the kind of business model you operate within? Because I think you've had such success with it in a way that a lot of the ecosystem has not. So maybe just any of the kind of high level. When you first joined, how did you think about it? How has that shifted a little bit? Um, and then and then keep it maybe just at a high level and we can go into some of the, the architecture of some of the early deals and things like that. Sure. So we, you know, we're really thinly staffed, um, mostly engineering. Like I said, there's really two business folks when I joined. You know, I worked very closely also with Matt Trafira, our CMO, to, you know, figure a way out of an hourly professional services model, right? right? You know, we, that is a component of our business, but we, went, we didn't want it to be the sole component of our business. We certainly wanted to sell license revenue. So when you look at an open source business, we were very focused on the community and the ecosystem. And so we didn't want to ever impact that. So you have to thread a very careful needle between community support and having open source technology, but also staying in business and having something you can sell. You know, we have an open core model and probably most notable sort of similar corollary, you know, selling models would be Cloudera or sure. data stacks around Cassandra. You know, we, we don't do that full open source model. It, we have an enterprise edition of our product, and I can talk a little bit about that later. But we first did that analysis, and we wanted to really keep the system simple where the open source, it can be supported, but then there's enterprise-grade features around security, logging, things like that, that felt natural. So for customers like Verizon, who's one of our biggest customer, public customers, you know, it felt natural to buy an enterprise product. They understood the delta between what's good for the community and also what's a purely enterprise plug-in or, or a layer that needs to be there as well. And and early on, I'm sure there was a lot of friction between, you know, we have this huge community and we don't want to obviously offer product or service above them because they may get pissed off. How, did, how should a founder be thinking about that kind of divide you know, let's say obviously you guys are very successful, but let's say you're an early stage SaaS founder that's in the open source space and you have a good community. What are some kind of tips or tricks or thoughts that you you kind of work through early on? Yeah, I think some of the things we got right, Mike, early was we didn't fork the project. A lot of people fork the Apache project that that's out there in their space, yep. and if it, it's a successful sort of ecosystem, you might have a lot of forks out there, right? You saw that you know, in a number of other projects that kind of came before Apache Mesa. So I think, you know, we're still early. I mean, you know, obviously very careful about that and want to make sure that one source of truth and things like that. We actually had an early customer ask us to fork it for them. It started to go down that path and realize that, we, and the customer realized as well that that wasn't a good solution. And so I think that's one thing we got right. I think the other thing we got right is, you know, really making an open core model where like the core is very, very fulsome. Right. It's not yeah. like this little core kind of using that as a marketing technique to get into deals. It's actually really an open core where there's a lot of things that customers do to extend it. But the proprietary wrappers are there and that divide is very important to keep. And so you want to make sure that your community feels like there's enough in the core that they can do what they need to do if they need to. And their enterprise customers feel like for the stuff they don't want to build, they'd rather buy. It's available to them. So I think those two things we got right early. And I think the third thing is probably really staying involved with the community and making sure, you know, not just what's open and closed, but just being active, involved, and, and showing that the community matters to us and, and that we matter to them. And just point of clarity, so the divide was you focused more on the business model side and, and early customer wins and, and you know, uh, growing into larger accounts. The CMO focused a little bit more on community and, and 
inbound and stuff like that, or how, how did it? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, Matt did a great job with the vision. So we, this is kind of a little separate topic, but I think was also important for us early days. You know, we, we sell this platform that's capable of running so many different services and applications on it, right? It, it's almost, yep. you know, you can run your stateless services like Twitter did. You can run big data applications like Spark and HTFS and Cassandra and Kronos. You can run CI, CD applications like Jenkins all on one orchestration layer, right? Yep. So that's unique in itself. Matt did an amazing job of sort of, you know, saying all of this stuff is really an operating system for the data center, okay? And, you know, what does that mean? It's not an, a kernel. It's not, you know, a Linux OS. Each box or virtual machine has their, their OS. We run an agent on all those things, right? But these agents all talk to each other, and they kind of treat all of your different machines, whether virtual or, or physical, as one big pile of compute. And I think that's sort of the magic around the operating center. So your entire data centers are almost like one computer. And I think that, you know, Matt did an amazing job sort of nailing that vision and sort of carving out a product category sure. for that. And I think what I did is more focused on taking that vision that, you know, Matt created Flow and our other co-founders, putting a business model around it, one that's repeatable, one that we saw either at scale or at as little as four nodes with our customers. Yep. But we have customers on tens of thousands of nodes as well. Sure. All right, maybe maybe to transition. So we've we've obviously covered you and the history of the company, the kind of early business model. Maybe maybe kind of go a little bit deeper. How, how did you think about the early, insofar as you can mention, you know, names or, or company sizes? How did you think about that early ideal customer profile and where you were going to go after? And and you know, we're obviously talking about the open source sales machine. So how did you think about it in the context of repeatability? stuff like that. Maybe just any color yeah. commentary would be great. Yeah. So now we have waves and personas and yeah, yeah. all that good stuff. Back then it was a little bit more of the wild, wild west, right? So we didn't have a sales team. So, you know, basically I presented the business model to the executive team. I said, no, that sounds great. Who's going to sell it? And right. they kind of all looked back at me and said, you are. And I said, all right, great. So I'll, great. I'll go out and I'll go out and sell it and see how we do. So we had a number of production Mesos users that were quite large and a number of folks who were looking at Mesos in, you know, in big lab environments. And so we kind of targeted them first. We had a lot of inbound leads when we announced DCOS. A lot of people hit our website. A lot of people inbounded to us just on our, you know, we had a at sales on Mesosphere on our website. We, we got a tremendous thousands and thousands of leads. It was, it was actually remarkable at that point. And so we, you know, kind of qualified as best we could with small group of people focused on it and really went after the folks who really wanted to bet big with us. Some of our earliest adopters, I mentioned Verizon was a very, very large one. They publicly announced that their private data centers are going to be running on DCOS as a service, yep. covering hundreds of different types of applications. Also went on stage with us last year at MesosCon, sure, yeah, our yeah. big conference we had in Seattle this year, we're doing it in Denver, and launched 50,000 containers with our CEO. In 72 seconds, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So that was through Marathon launching Spark. That was pretty cool. And did you just, I don't mean to interrupt, but did you just pick, hey, Verizon's a huge company, we're going to kind of go after that? Or get, or think about it from the standpoint of I'm a young SaaS founder and maybe I have the benefit of getting, let's say, 100 leads, not, you know, 1,000 like, like Mesosphere got. What would you recommend in terms of qualification? And what did you guys think about early on with those, you know, early customers? Because you definitely nailed them, right? I mean, you got a lot of successful people, 
active very early. Yeah, I think you really want to look for the customers who are really looking at this as, a, as an initial partnership more than just as an end user customer, right? That seems like something trivial and you can gloss over, but it's really important when you guys throw the technology over the wall, so to speak, and, and you've got a major logo customer who's banging on it in lots of different formats, even some ways you never anticipated, which is great, but who's willing to work through some of those issues, whether it's scale, whether it's different use cases you never thought about. I think that's super important and, and one that really shows their, that their leaders, the leadership that you're working with at, the, at that business level are, are engaged and they want to see this thing be successful because it's hard as a startup in the early days to, to get that traction and get people really invested and it's really nice when people share the same vision as the founders or the executive team and really want to see it be successful, not just in year one, two, but talking five years out, potentially, things like that. And so we saw that with Larry Rao at Verizon, and we worked closely with Sam Bastia, the leader in their strategy group at, at Verizon as well. That was a great experience because they really shared that vision. Let's, let's bet big with Mesosphere early days. Another big user of our technology is Two Sigma uh, Fund in New York. And so, you know, they were an early adopter of our technology and we worked with them really closely to build certain security modules and things like that for their business. So it sounds like identify people who have large companies, but also a high propensity to use and sometimes use in unique ways, access them and provided they're as excited as you are, those are probably the best bets early on. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. And you, you want folks, you don't want people just to buy the stuff and have it be shelfware, right? Yeah. I think the goal yeah. is to, you know, cross the chasm, as everyone talks about, and have the case studies, reference architectures, customer references. I mean, the folks I've named, a lot of these people, happy to get on the line and talk to new potential customers because they love the technology and they love what it's done for their business, whether it's just on the cost saving side or the go-to-market with getting applications and services up faster and deployed and ease of use, simplifying IT. So I, I think, you know, it, it's the people who are going to really work with you to make you successful and actually help you build use cases that will formulate what becomes a repeatable business. Sure. All right. So we've talked about the history, the business model. You've given, you know, Verizon, Two Sigma, some of those early wins. Then you kind of grow up, I guess, and you have to develop some level of repeatability. How did you guys think about those you know, you obviously built out that early sales team. What were some of the kind of thoughts you had early on? And, and do you hire, you know, kind of, you know, folks who come from the open source community, maybe just th talk, talk through kind of the profile as you're building this open source sales machine, I guess. I think the profiles we looked at, you know, I, I had a lot of mentorship from a number of people, Mark Cranny from Andreessen, um, Alice Katman as well, who's an advisor to us, and a number of others to help me, what I believe is a, you know, it's a, it's a great uh, sales team, and I've met a number of sales teams. I've been invited to sales kickoffs and other partners and stuff, and I really, really like what we've built internally here at Mesosphere. I think the profile in DNA we look for is we went with super seasoned folks, yeah. people that had three to four year track records or longer at companies have been through three, four plus different looks, uh, whether they're startups or were like at Oracle and got their training there when it was still a little bit earlier days, sort of experience and, and track and longer track records at those companies, I'd say is one. Definitely folks who had at least one startup under their belt. I think that was important for us because we were so early that if you took someone who without any startup experience, you noticed a, a delta between them and the oh, other folks. And the third part is to the extent we could do it and we 
pretty much always did it is found someone who had some open source experience. Now, it wasn't always open core experience, like we have people who joined from Cloudera. It's also people who joined from Hortonworks and other purely open source kind of subscription model projects. But just the idea of the open source where, you know, there's an us first us sale, like yep. where you're competing yep. against yourself was important. And I think having that, those, all three of those things created the best, uh, you know, reps and SEs for us. And what, and, and most of these folks, you're like the, the, the first and the second hire, you would agree. It's, it's really, really critical that you find that lens pretty early on. Otherwise as a founder, it just gets really, really difficult and you have to sell yourself essentially. I mean, it's really important that those first couple of folks are successful, right? It's, you know, everyone talks about success brings more success. Yep. Those reps in particular or pre-sales engineers in particular, they have great networks, right? So you get the right sort of people. They, they have the right sort of networks. They all talk. It's, you know, small industry, especially in our world. Um, you know, a lot of our folks came from, historically from, you know, Blade BMC or Opsware or even PTC. And then, you know, kind of evolved into usually some sort of open source startup uh, later on, right? So like Datastax or Cloudera, Hortonworks, Mapbar, things like that. And basically, you know, that sort of getting the right people. And also those those early sales folks will figure out how to get it done. They've, they've done it before, right? And I think the difference I heard from a lot of those um, rock stars was really you know, hey, when I usually start a startup, I have to do all this outbound to just get somebody to talk to me. Yeah. Here it was like, wow, this is like a yeah, 180. Community, there's a lot of people. It's community. Yeah. I got to. I have to qualify all the stuff and figure out what's real. So that was pretty cool to hear. And it, like, there were some really seasoned vets who were saying that kind of things to us. Okay, so we've covered the history, the business model, some of the early deals, how you thought about that early sales team. I will end on a. Um, or, or the, the first half of the end will be on a negative note. Any failures or issues you've noticed along the way that you can impart to the younger open source SaaS founders that are thinking about this? I think uh, <laughs> a lot. Um, so I think the, the first one is really spend the time on the business model early. There's other different models too. Look at all of them and see how that affects you and so like we could have spent as a company looking more at those type those things that were out there historically and, and how that would impact us as a new business you know we, we got through it it was painful but we ultimately got to a, you know product suites that made sense i think if you can do that and i think with the sales team and the hiring talk to mentors talk to those people who really been through this before and then take that information and data and apply it to your situation right it doesn't need to be one for one you know, maybe there's a discount, maybe it's just, you know, malleable a little bit. Yep. But I think to the extent you really listen to the people who've done it before and then apply it to your business, right? Don't take it full stop, but apply it to your business. That was good. I mean, I, you know, there are times where I didn't take advice and I made a mistake. There's times when I took advice and didn't apply it to our business and that didn't work. I think when you took advice from those leaders and applied it to your business, that's where we were really successful. And especially in this world, I mean, open source is not the the level of repeatability early on is a little bit tricky, as you said. So if you are able to rely on some of these great folks that you mentioned, it seems to be yeah. incredible if you can. Yeah, and I would say like the last thing I'll end with, it's a negative term positive. You know, it, it's <laughs> yeah, a, we'll end on the positive. Yeah, so there's a, you know, I think there's always some urgency or, or some, you know, there's a concept It's like once you find the right thing, you know, keep doing it. I think in the beginning, you have to try a different, couple different looks. And I said this one time when I was recruiting a guy in London at a pub. Um, we had a couple of pints and, you know, we got going. And I said it in jest, but, you know, in retrospect, it's true. 
you know, I really believe that we, we have sort of an Ocean's Eleven model. And so we, we need people who understand the infrastructure layer, the you know, infrastructure application layer, whether there are distributed databases, whether there are stateless services, whether it's cloud stuff, whether it's CICD. Like, just like Ocean's Eleven, you have Brad Pitt and George Clooney, and everyone plays their part to kind of steal the casino's right. treasures. I mean, for us, it's, you know, everyone plays their part to kind of win the new data center. I think all those different looks were all really good and to kind of compile people from different backgrounds around a big platform was really fun to do. Excellent. We will stop on the Oceans of reference. Will, thank you so much for coming out to the show. We really appreciate it. Right, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you for downloading this Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Bowery Capital is a business software-focused venture capital firm specializing in helping our founders build initial revenue traction. For more information, please visit us online at BoweryCap.com backslash blog.